Let's pray. Lord, you desire us to look like you, to walk like you walked, to live like you lived, to love like you loved. And that is a tall task. And so often we fall so very short of it. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit within us. We need the community of those who follow after you to encourage us, to spur us on to love and good deeds, to remind us, to call us back to this radical life of following you, of denying ourselves and taking up our crosses and following in your footsteps. Lord, shape us, mold us, make us to be more like you. Give us the tools, Lord, that we need to, to do that. And Lord, as we begin this series in Lent to look at various spiritual disciplines that can help form us in your way, in your image and your likeness, Lord, I pray that you would help us to not only know what they are, because many may be familiar to us, but help us to not just know them, but to practice them, to put, in, put them into place in our lives, to take the time and the, the effort and the, the, um, just the ability to put it into place in our very lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, show us what it looks like, to walk in the way that you did. And so, Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace, your compassion, and your mercy to us that is new every morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So we are, as I said, we are kicking off a series uh, this morning called Formed. And what it is about is so often in scriptures we see this idea that we are to be created in the image and likeness of Jesus that we are to look like and be like and be formed in the way of Jesus but like we hear those words and we go but what does that mean what does that practically mean in the day in and day out and the messiness of life how do we get shaped into the image and likeness of Jesus because it just won't happen it's not like you just wake up one morning and you slept on the bible and you just somehow magically inherited everything and you're like i'm good to go it takes time and it takes work and it takes patience and it takes the holy spirit to to form us and i don't know about you but when i when i became a christian i was told here are the two things you need you need to pray and read the bible that's it and I did that, and I still do that, but I still sometimes feel like it comes up empty. It comes up short. It comes up like there's got to be more. And so we're kicking this series called Formed in the midst of the first Sunday of Lent. Now, I don't know if you grew up practicing Lent. You know, because so often when, when people hear the word Lent, they go, okay, what am I giving up? 
You know, I'll give up chocolate or I'll give up this or that or the other thing. And so um, Lent is this 40-day period of time in the church. And now it's, if you count, if you're really smart and you count from Ash Wednesday to Holy Saturday, you really go, wait, 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 wait. There's 46 days. Well, six days, uh, my son came in this today and, well, said, happy cheat day. Today is the day you can cheat on what you gave up. Well, it's called resurrection days. And you can't mourn and you can't um, grieve and you can't repent on resurrection day. And so, like, yeah, sure, if you gave up chocolate, today you have a pass. Now, that doesn't mean go home and, like, take all the chocolate in your house and just throw it down your belt. Like, that's not the thing. But... It Lent is this time to focus on confession and repentance and prayer and fasting and introspection on your life. It's also a time to walk with Jesus, to journey with him to the cross, and then to see him be put on the cross and then laid in the tomb. And then, you know, at the end of Lent, we have, we have celebration. We have the resurrection. Now we're getting ahead of ourselves because that's not where we are right now. And so, you know, we are looking at what it looks like to be formed into the image and likeness of Jesus. We're going to explore, uh, during Sundays, we're going to explore various spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk about them. We're going to have discussion about them. And then Wednesday nights at 7, we're going to kind of practice them together. And so, um, think of it as theory today and praxis on Wednesdays. And some, they might not be praxis together, but they may be, hey, as you practice this, this spiritual discipline this week, how were you shaped? And how were you formed? And what did you notice about your own life? Like good and bad. Like you realize, wow, I'm very impatient or whatever. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to um, do that. And today we're going to talk about the most, the best practice, the best spiritual practice that we all love. I mean, the best, you love it, right? You love to fast. You love to like not eat and to give up food and give up things, right? No? I mean, I, I will tell you, I am so very spiritual. I'm giving up liver for Lent, okay? You know how hard that is for me to give up liver? No, I'm not giving up liver. I, I gave up liver a long, long, long time ago, and I haven't had it for a long time. But that's where the tradition comes from, though. Like, it's, it's in this tradition of Lent that we give up something. We fast for something. I know there are people who literally fast from food for 40 days. I know people who give up social media for 40 days. I know people who try to give up sarcasm. I mean, I'm not one because that would probably be the biggest struggle ever. But this is where this tradition is. is to, it's time to abstain from, from food or from something that seeks to take our time and our energy and our focus away from the way of Jesus. For instance, like fasting, we all think of food and so fasting from food 
helps us to turn our attention away from like, it's not just, oh, I'm going to fast and give up food. It's I'm going to take that time that I would use for, for preparing and for eating and use that time to pray and to be still and to be quiet and to meditate and to read scripture and focus on Jesus. It's to give up social media and to take the time that you would be scroll, doom scrolling on Facebook or Twitter and turn that into something productive. To be still and to be quiet and to meditate on, on, on Jesus. To take that time and focus Godward instead of like on this world. And so a commentator I said, actually says this. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed in the image of Jesus. To fast, to give up something, actually helps form us in the way of Jesus. So, one of the things is we know that we have an image. We have a, a person that has walked this path before us. We don't have to recreate the wheel, so to speak. And so to be formed, we need to look at Jesus and say, okay, if we're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines over the next 40 days, how did Jesus practice these things? And then seek to emulate, to, to, to walk in the way that he walked, to practice that spiritual discipline in the way he practiced these things. And so we're going to look at fasting. And how did Jesus talk about fasting? How did he practice fasting? What did he learn how did he grow? How did he uh, become in communion with his heavenly Father in the midst of this practice of fasting? And so we're going we're gonna to go to a couple of different places, but the first place we're going to go to is Luke chapter 4. And now, Luke chapter 4 is on the first Sunday of Lent, the traditional text that many communities of faith will read. It's the story of, of Jesus and the temptation in the wilderness. But now we're only going to do the first four verses. And it says, it says this, in this in the Lucan version of this text. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man man does not live on bread alone. And so, in this traditional text of, that, of the first Sunday of Lent, we see Jesus. He is led into the wilderness by the Spirit, which is pretty interesting, but I won't go too much into that. But... So he's led into this wilderness where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. And during these 40 days, he's practicing fasting. He gave up food. He is not eating. Now, it says he does not eat. Now, we know, if you know anything about your body, that you can, do, you can go without food for 40 days. But you cannot go without liquid. I think the longest, if I'm not mistaken, is like three days. No, you need a longer. Okay. <laughs> I figured she would correct me. A little longer. A little longer. But you, can't, you, can't, you can go longer without food than liquid. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, there we go. If you were a healthy person, you're often 
So we're, we're pretty sure that he only gave up food. He wasn't giving up liquid. So he's there, and the text says, at the end of them, he was hungry. Well, that's almost like a no kidding statement, really. Are you, you're like, duh, of course. But what, what's interesting about this is that shows to me his humanity, the humanity of Jesus. Yes, Jesus was divine, but he was also fully human. And here he is, hungry. And I believe not only, it wasn't like after 40 days he was hungry. I believe he was hungry every single day. I believe he had a familiar rumble and rumble in his stomach that many of us know and experience. And so I like to say that it's this idea that every time when you fast, when you give up food, you hear that grumble. That grumble is like a divine call to prayer. What if... In fasting, when you felt the pangs of hunger, instead of running to the pantry to grab cookies or oranges or whatever, you use that time when that belly starts to grumble as a call to connect with Jesus, to pray, to meditate, to, to take the time that you would use to nourish that stomach, to nourish your soul. I truly believe that Jesus, I mean, it doesn't come right out and say it, but I truly believe he used that time when he felt that pain in his stomach to connect and commune with his Heavenly Father. I mean, somehow he had, I mean, he had the, the ability, the connection to be filled with the Holy Spirit to resist the tempter's call. And I truly believe that you and I, when we fast, when we feel the pain in our gut and when we connect with the, the Heavenly Father, that we can also resist the temptations that the evil one throws our way. And so the devil, knowing that Jesus has been fasting and maybe he's close enough to hear the rumble in the stomach of Jesus, he puts his finger on it and says, that's where I'm going first. I'm going to tempt Jesus in this way to turn the, he says, to turn stone into bread. To, to basically use his own power to provide for himself sustenance. To not depend upon the provision and the power of God, his heavenly father, to provide for him. But to circumvent that and do it under his own strength and his own power. So Jesus is able to resist the devil and to not seek his own power and his own provision for sustenance. I think when you and I, when we practice fasting, whether it's from food or social media or whatever, what it's going to do, it will bring up within you what your cravings are. What you desire. It'll expose, it'll like open them up and expose it. It's like, 
it's already there, those desires, those cravings, they're already there, but you are in a place now where they're being exposed. It's like what we've talked about a lot with COVID. Things like systematic racism and lack of discipleship and like hate and violence, they were already there in the water, so to speak. COVID didn't bring it. COVID exposed it. When we fast, those personal cravings, those things are there already. And when we fast, they become exposed. We become more aware of those things that are formed not in the way of Jesus. They're malformed. And so we things like trying to provide for our own selves. Or our identities. Or our worth. Or our value. And so fasting exposes our dependency upon our own self to meet our own needs. And not rely on the power and the provision of God to provide for that. And so the devil tempts him and says, turn these stones into bread. And he says, man will, not, will live by bread alone. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. And the full text is, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the text in Deuteronomy. And so in this, he is saying, now he's not saying, hey, you know what? Bread is of no consequence. That's not what he's saying. Not important. He's just saying that loyalty and allegiance to God is above that. First and foremost. Obviously, physical needs and wants are important. But in Luke, we also read, life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. And so, in this, he's he's quoting Deuteronomy, and it's the story of the Israelites. And they're in the wilderness, which is really interesting, and they are trying to figure out, how are we going to get sustenance? How are we going to get food? How are we going to be provided for we have been pushed out from, from Egypt, and now we are in the wilderness, and now we're hungry. How will we eat? And God provides manna in the desert for them. They don't do it. They can't, all their job is to go out and collect it. They didn't create it. They didn't work for it. They didn't bake it. They didn't go to the grocery store to get it. They prov- waited for God to provide Uh, This guy named Jeremy Williams says this. Jesus responds by quoting the Torah, the law of God of Israel, essentially stating that a human's life is more than its cravings. Jesus quotes the Torah to assert that humans are not solely responsible for their own well-being. Humans should lean in the Spirit's leading, even in uncertain circumstances. So Jesus fasts 40 days in the wilderness. And it's about his dependency upon God to provide for his needs and not to do it in his own. And in this wilderness, we see that Jesus, at the very beginning of verse of chapter 4, it says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Now check this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, empty in his stomach. I don't know about you, but so much I feel like I'm not empty in stomach. I have a full stomach 
but I'm empty in the spirit. When we fast, we take that emptiness within that we try to fill with other things and we create space for God to fill that. To fill that hole, if you will. That food can never satisfy. I found this quote, the restless longing for food can only be satisfied when we allow God to fill that desire. And so we, we exchange what we can't, can't be satisfied completely with the only thing that can. And it puts us in a place where we come to the end of ourselves. And we wait upon God to provide and trust him to do something. So we, we said, hey, to be formed into the image and likeness of Jesus, we need to figure out how he talked about fasting, how he practiced fasting. We need to emulate his life. And so here he is in the 40 days in the wilderness practicing fasting, but he also talks about it. He also says some things about it. Now, nowhere, nowhere in this do we find where it says, thou shall fast. There's no, you can't find it in the Old Testament. You can't find it in the New Testament. There's nowhere. But there are places where he assumes that you, assumes that his followers will practice it, will fast as a part of their prayer and their devotion to following him and his kingdom. But he does give them. Here's when you fast. Here's the parameters that he will give. And so in in, um, we're going to go to Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, because that's where we're headed. But in Jesus' day, the Judaism of the time was like saying, hey, if you want to be formed in the way of God, here are your three spiritual practices. There's almsgiving, giving to the poor. There is um, prayer. And there is fasting. In fact, if you look at Matthew 6, when he's talking in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, the very beginning of Matthew 6, he says, as you are giving, don't let the right hand, know, don't let your left hand know your right hand in, in giving. He's talking about the way you practice giving, almsgiving. And then in the middle of section of 6, he's talking about prayer. And then verses 16 to 18, he says, when you fast. And so he's, he's hitting every single spiritual discipline that his hearers would know and practice. And how do you do that? And so he gets to, he gets to fasting. And this is what he says. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only that your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So he isn't, he isn't critiquing fasting here. He's critiquing the way it's practiced. The motivations and the heart and the soul of the person who is practicing this spiritual discipline. The day at the time, you could know someone who was fasting by this. And this was typically men. They would let their hair become unkempt and their beard to get tangled and they would spread ashes on their face. And they would walk around and everybody would know, oh, they're fasting. It was more about, 
hey, look how good I am. Look how deeply spiritual I am. You should be like me, because I am that spiritual. I am super spiritual. And so the question is, is this faster trying to please God and grow in relationship with him? Or was this faster trying to manipulate God into getting him to do what this faster wanted to do? Hey, if I do this, God will do what I want. Or is it to be seen how deeply spiritual you are? Or is it to set aside something for a little bit of time to walk in the way of Jesus, to spend more time looking Godward than anything else, to set aside the distractions of the world, to focus on the way of Jesus? Is it because you long for a deeper walk with God that you want to fast? Or is it some religious practice that you think, well, Ryan's talking about it, I guess I should do it. It's not something to be taken and say, I'm going to do it to appease the will of God. I read a commentary that says, fasting which enacts humanity's utter dependency upon God, which we talked about, is, connect, uh, is also found in Scripture. It's connected to repentance, petition, lament, and the yearning for God's justice. Instead, mocks that dependency when the fast is poisoned by attempts to impress others with the depth of the faster's devotion. So real fasting. Fasting from food and social media and other things forms us in the way of Jesus and the kingdom when it's just between you and God. When you turn your face to God, and no one really even needs to know. It says, it says, instead of when you fast, instead of letting your face become all disfigured, put on oil and put on new clothes and walk around like nothing is happening. So that you're not showing off. You're not drawing attention to just how pious you are. No, in fact, when you fast in the way that Jesus wants us to fast, we turn our eyes onto God and not onto someone or something else. And that's the true reason for fasting. But at the same time, there is space, there is place where our devotion to him, our eyes focused on him, also then turned outward to others. That when we Fast, and when we come to be better formed in the way of Jesus, our hearts begin to beat in that same rhythm that his heart beats with. That our heart begins to break with the things that break the heart of God. That's what spiritual disciplines do. It, it takes our hearts, and hopefully they begin to beat in the way that Jesus' heart beats. And, and then that, when that happens, then we cannot help but look at our world and see the brokenness, see the pain and the hurting, see also the beauty. But also, then we have a heart for the poor and the needy and the oppressed. In fact, actually, that's what in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says, hey, when you fast, it is not about your religious 
duty. And then you don't care about the poor and the needy and the oppressed. It says, no, Isaiah 3, 7 says, when you fast, this is the kind of fast I want. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? It's, the, it's like, hey, God, we're trying to manipulate, here, manipulate you here because we're going be, to do this practice, but we're really doing it for our own selves. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And then, yet, on the day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And so fasting, yes, is a deeply personal spiritual discipline. But it also then should lead us out into work with God in the, in the coming of the kingdom, in the ways of this kingdom. Martin Luther defines sin as a turning or curving within oneself. I found that fascinating. And, he's, and then, so fasting becomes a curving in on oneself when it's about my own religiosity. When it's about my own life and getting the way I want. A commentary says, the Lord's big complaint here is not so much about fasting. It's about inwardly turned fasting. And with inwardly turned fasting, as with any inwardly turned piety that focuses on the self without turning the gaze outward toward the living God and the neighbor. And so when you fast, yes, you, become, you are seeking to become more like him. But if it only becomes inward-focused piety, it can actually be sin. It's not about how religious you are. It's not what it's about. It's about being formed into the way of Jesus. And so my challenge for you this week and for all of us is that this week and possibly Wednesday, if you are able, health-wise, to give up food for at least a meal, a lunch, a dinner, a breakfast, and to take that time and devote it to prayer. Also, devote it to serving a neighbor. Devote it to pray for your neighbors. To take that growling and that emptiness in your stomach and turn it as a call to pray and to spend time in prayer with Jesus. And then Wednesday night, we're going to gather in my house at 7 to talk about what did you learn what did you experience? How did that fasting, that grumbling in your stomach lead to better communion with him, to, to better communion with your neighbor? To say, how has this experience of fasting formed you more in the image and likeness of Jesus himself? So we're going to spend some time talking about fasting together around your tables.